Hello and welcome. I'm Sandy Magnan and you are listening to Quote, Picking Up Steam, end quote, the fifth episode in the series, Population Health, The Unfinished Journey with David Kendig. I'm here again with Dave Kendig, a pioneer in population health. Hi, Dave. Hey, Sandy. Good to be back with you this week. All right. Um, Dave, thanks for sharing in the fourth previous episode, how and why you titled that period of your life, The Lonely Years. And if that's not intriguing enough for listeners uh, to go back and listen to that, I don't know what what is. So, uh, and I thank you for your vulnerability and being willing to talk about that time. And I, I think it also reminds us that people should not give up hope even if they go through some discouraging times, which you did. So you shared a story about how you waited for the right time after a paper was rejected, resoundingly, um, that you waited for the right time for your 2006 paper, Pay for Population Health Performance, and that that acceptance really re-energized you. So what did you do after that to pick up steam and keep ideas moving. Yeah, well, thanks for that that question. Um, yeah, it I did sort of. I mean, picking up steam after the lonely years is a, is a good way to describe that period. And as we'll see in this uh, episode, this podcast, um, a lot of different things got going. Um, some writing projects, but also some organizational stuff that I had something to do with along with other other leaders in the field. Um, the first piece of writing um, was a piece in JAMA, which was a call to use a population health framework for the Healthy People 2020 planning process that was underway at that time. Um, it included an expanded model from the 2003 paper, which also will roll forward into my blog, we'll hear later. Um, And we suggested five to 10 year targets for health outcomes, such as quality adjusted life years per dollar invested. I did that with my close colleagues, uh, Yusiko Asada and Bridget Bosky of County Rankings fame. So what was the response to that framework? You know, this thing in this, in this world of publishing and trying to have an impact, um, it's really hard. It's really hard to know. You know, back in the old days in my PhD, when you when you actually published a paper, people would send little postcards and they would ask for a reprint. You know, and then you'd kind of know yeah. that there were people out. Yeah, I kept a little thing of postcard. People were out there wondering. Um, I mean, that doesn't happen so much anymore. So you know. On this one, particularly, I don't remember a huge response at the time policy. I mean, it, I did get 150 uh, citations from that, which is not, oh, which yeah. is not, what's well, not bad, but, yeah. you know, but uh, my most famous one has 1200, the definitional paper and, and, you know, Mike McGinnis's actual causes of death before all of this has 2500. So, you know, so whatever. Um, I, uh, you know, I don't really know. Um, I, I couldn't say I, I have any evidence that that particular paper had an impact, certainly not on those very specific targets. 
Well, I think it's, it's always good when you can set a framework for how people can uh, think about things and, and you never know. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, it was called a pop. It was called a population health framework for right. setting national and state health goals. Yeah, yeah. So something that we talked about previously, I think it was podcast three, where we talked about what is population health. You know, population health management was really beginning to become more popular uh, at this time. What did you think about that? And were you concerned about kind of the growing popularity of quote, uh, population health management? Sure, um, yes I was. And yeah, we did cover this before, but um, but you know, it's good news and bad news. I mean, the population, the uh, recognition of the term and it's being picked up in primarily healthcare circles um, was a positive, but concerned about moving in a medical, only medical and healthcare direction, of course, was a concern about the whole way I and, and we view the field. Um, that um, paper, uh, the triple aim paper that I mentioned with Don Berwick, um, it was limited to enrolled clinical populations with very limited recognition of the non-medical determinants. Um, it was a important and well, I, I bet that paper had a lot more citations than some of mine, but um, I was asked by Health Affairs to critique that article. Um, and so while appreciating his effort, I, I said that, quote, Berwick and colleagues hope that the integrator, that's population health in integrator across determinants, will in one way or another link health organizations, parenthesis, as well as public health and social service organizations in parenthesis. Continue to write, the problem is that the primary sectors with opportunity for health improvement perhaps lie more on those things inside the parentheses as well as others outside the healthcare system. That was a pretty bold statement. Well, uh, yeah, well, I was aware of that when I wrote it, but uh, <laughs> Don's a friend and a valued colleague. I got a call after that, shortly after that, when that came out um, as, as a blog in 2008 from John Whittington, um, his co-author. Uh, I thought I was in trouble when that call came in, but actually that led to many productive interactions with Don and John that um, continue to this day. So during this uh, time, 2006 to 2014, um, county health rankings were developed. And you have a wonderful story about that. Can you tell us more? Um, sure. Um, the, uh, we started here in Wisconsin. Um, Pat Remington joined me in 2006 as co-director of what is now our Population Health Institute. Uh, we asked ourselves what could be useful and influential in Wisconsin. And along with Bridget Catlin and Paul Papard, we developed the county rankings model that grew right out of the Evan Stoddard model, as well as some of the framework from America's health rankings. And I hope that people will always understand that the county rankings is a uh, fairly direct derivative, again, back, at least for me, to the Evans Stoddard model with a couple of these publications in between. Um, 
the key additions I championed were clearly separating outcomes from determinants um, and the necessity of weighting both the outcomes component and the determinants component if rankings are used to be developed from it. And the understanding that weights on the outcomes are value-based. That's a what do we want in terms of length of life, quality of life, racial disparity reduction, uh, poor white disparity reduction. Um, and the understanding that weights on outcomes are value-based such as length of life, quality of life, which, which disparities should be factored. Um, and while as the determinant weights are empirically derived if we're smart enough to figure them out. Um, a critical one was the 20% aside to medical care, which derived from the early McGinnis CDC work. Um, for many years, I did a lecture on the McGinnis 20% versus David Cutler's 50%. And these are still not absolutely precise estimates, you know, varying in terms of what outcome you're thinking about. But the important thing was that there are other determinants at least as important as medical care and likely more. I would have loved to have heard that lecture, uh, you comparing McGinnis's 20% to David Cutler's 50%. I can send you the PowerPoint slides. <laughs> Okay, uh, I think the twenty percent, and even some people say ten percent for a medical care. But so I think that one kind of won one out and uh, uh, with it. So, so, so let me get it straight here. So the county health rankings really started as a Wisconsin model only. So how did how did it lead to it going national? Well, yeah, um, what yeah, correct. Uh, that, like I said, Pat and I figured out this might be something that we could get. Our, our institute is supposed to be primarily state Wisconsin policy based, something that we could get some attention for and some hopefully relevance. So um, I was looking for research support from for metrics and incentives work, these issues that I'm interested in. I actually went to Princeton, convened a panel, expert panel at RWJ and used the Wisconsin rankings as a framework for that day-long discussion. Jim Marks, um, senior vice president at RWJ was there. He attended the whole thing. He listened intently. He had mentored Pat Remington at CDC. Um, so there was a relationship there. Um, nothing happened afterwards <laughs> for six to eight months until uh, a critical call came in from Pam Russo, my close friend and colleague at RWJ. And she said, Dave, are you sitting down? We will fund your metrics incentive work grant, little research grant, but you, would you be willing to take the county rankings national? <laughs> Pat and I gulped. Uh, he, was running, <laughs> he, he was running the Institute by then. Uh, we thought about it for not too long and decided yet, Yes, and he and Bridget Catlin essentially took the real work of developing all that national model since then. I mean, while the rankings themselves have been useful in many communities, but ones that don't have the capacity for some of that data work themselves, the main impact I think has been the model itself. 
that health is produced by more than health care. I am perhaps proudest of my contribution in moving something from the 1990 Evans theory to something actionable and useful to communities. I'd have to say amen to that uh, main impact, Dave, that uh, the model has had over and over um, that health is produced by more than healthcare. So during this time, you did several more things with colleagues to pick up steam and maintain momentum from, for population health. So tell us about a couple of them. Sure. Um, so uh, actually from the last uh, little story with Pam Russo's call, actually the thing I went in for was some work on incentives and metrics. Uh, she gave me a small grant and I commissioned a set of 21, they're now called the match essays on in three buckets, metrics, incentives, and partnerships. Um, we commissioned 21 papers. Match is actually the name of that part of our rankings institute called Mobilizing Action Towards Community Health. It was, it was under that framework at the time. Um, we had a two-day meeting. Most of those people were here in Madison for two days um, and presented their papers. Uh, it's a collection now that's um, a CDC uh, collection. All 21 of these um, were bundled into a collection, a PDF collection at CDC. It remains a, a really valuable but little used uh, preventive chronic disease. That's their journal, Pop Health Textbook. Uh, another, you could ask another question about um, how much use did that actually get? But it, uh, it's a great, it is still a great textbook, hardly dated um, with some of the issues that we covered in the buckets of metrics, incentives and partnership. Um, then, I, uh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I couldn't agree with you more that I think that's, uh, a hidden but big gem, and and it's all free, right? You don't have to have a subscription. No, no, no. It's a yeah. It's it's a it's a it's a preventive chronic disease um, PDF collection. Just yeah. type it type it in. Um, then actually, um, a, a big thing was helping develop the Robert Wood Johnson Health. Dave, Dave, before you go on, so sure. I just want to to reiterate a little bit on those twenty one essays because I think. Our listeners need to know some of what, like, what's in there. I mean, it's a who's who of names and population health. And to just give you a, a flavor, um, like one of them is by Asada, and it's a summary measure of health inequalities uh, for a pay for population health performance system. I mean, that one's just as relevant today as when it was written back then. And then right. another one is socioeconomic indicators that matter for population health by Lance and Pritchard. And it has, it discusses social structure and how that relates to discrimination, social cohesion, social capital, has a list of 17 possible indicators that could be used as incentives for population health. So it really is a, a, a rich uh, resource. And so for our listeners, I would say, 
you you should check it out. So I'm sorry, Dave. Go go no. ahead. Oh, well, it looks like you've been checking checking it out. Thanks <laughs> to you. Yeah, an introductory little essay for the incentives group on Mike McGinnis. Uh, you know, the grandfather of our field on how should we think about um, incentives for moving the field. So yeah, it's a gem. A hidden. It is kind of a hidden gem. Um, then I went on, as I was saying, to help develop the RWJF Health and Society Scholars Program. That's what RWJ, after a long period of discussion, um, I think partly triggered by the meeting I had convened you know, a year before, to essentially invest in uh, development of scholars for the field. Um, and uh, you know, that was a wonderful program at six sites around the country. We, we had three a year here for two years, so six in a group. And I have to tell you those, those Wednesday afternoons that I spent with this wildly um, interdisciplinary group of people from epi and social history and political science, um, it was the most intellectually stimulating uh, thing of my life that I've ever done. And of course that morphed um, with a bit of fits and turns into the new at the time, new IAPHS um, Association for Population Health Sciences, um, you know, which is sponsoring our our podcast series today. So that was the leaders of the field at that time um, developed that um, that health and society scholar program. Uh, I wish it had kept going, but you know, all things or many things come to an end. But the current crop of mid career population health scholars is populated um, by the graduates of programs along the six sites. Um, I actually, the, the initial blog for IAPHS was uh, one that I wrote called Improving Population Health, Continuing the Journey, which sort of, <laughs> which sort of refers to, because at that time I had also started the Improving Population Health blog for three years, I wrote one blog post a, a week. Some are dated, but many others are still relevant today. They are also um, collected into electronic collection. The uh, link is listed below. Um, I, uh, I still have ideas that come up that I say to myself, if I were still blogging, but <laughs> But the effort to get 500 words every Sunday afternoon to my editor, Kristen, for posting Tuesday was pretty intense. Um, but I've continued to do some blogging on health affairs and the IAPHS site. Um, the blog actually featured a more attractive and expanded version of the pop health model, which I've used in many other places. Um, there's a picture of it uh, listed in the show notes uh, and the link to the collection. Um, we, you might note that that, uh, that that model has a much more expanded outcomes model graphic, which actually shows the choices that the value choices that we have to make in which outcomes we want to have. What about mortality versus non-mortality? What about mean versus disparity? Which disparities kind of highlighting? I've often used to teach that about highlighting these, these trade-offs. And then um, I, I founded the IOM 
now the NASM, but at the time IOM Population Health Roundtable with George Isom, which you know well as a former co-chair. George was a good friend and a former student. Um, one evening over wine, we brainstormed might, what might be the most effective way to spend our time as we're you know, winding down our careers to promote population health. He had been the chair of the IOM Roundtable on Health Literacy and had had that experience. I had not um, been on a roundtable. And he suggested one on population health improvement as one thing to do. Um, Rose Martinez at IOM was, a, was supportive, but we had to have an anchor sponsor. IOM committees and studies don't come for free. Um, and I was trying it with Robert Johnson, but they weren't jumping at it. So George and I and Rose, we made a trip, a trip all the way to Princeton for a 15 minute meeting with Jim Marks, in which I told him that it would be my primary professional commitment for the next several years, and that it was unthinkable that they wouldn't want to play a major role. <laughs> he, again, again, emeritus people can sometimes say things. <laughs> yeah, can say such things. Um, yes. Over what other ones can't. He, however, <laughs> he, 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 however, quickly agreed. Um, and uh, it continues to be an influential part of population health policy a decade later, and I don't know, 25 or more long um, workshops, um, you know, still going on. Um, it was after George and I energetically co-chaired by you, Sani, and Geoff Sharfstein, and, and now on to Ray Baxter and Kirsten Bibbins Domingo. Yeah, and, and um, he's had to move on to be editor of JAMA. So um, it's, uh, right. it's had, um, an interesting history. And like you say, it continues to this day. So I, I'm, I'm glad you said to uh, Robert Wood Johnson that uh, it was unthinkable that they uh, wouldn't want to play a role. So yeah. good for you. Yeah, and so actually, I mean, it really was from the lonely years to this picking up steam. Yeah. It, it, it really, that period really was a period of active development for the field with, you know, all of those things that I contributed to and that the rest of our field in different ways was beginning to pick up on. Yes, yes. You've had an amazing, uh, very busy eight years there from 2006 to 2014, contributing to population health. So uh, bringing it into the mainstream of thinking in so many, so many ways. So let me summarize what happened, uh, some of the takeaways during this time. There's number one, that there's a beginning appreciation that population health is more than healthcare. Yet the full appreciation for the social determinants is still slow in coming. It's hard for people, most people to understand how the social determinants quote, get under the skin, end quote. And you're having RWJF intellectual and financial support was critical during this time. Second takeaway is the county health rankings model. Meet three main points that I heard you say. One, it was clearly derived from the original Evans-Stoddard uh, article and model. Second, that it separated outcomes from determinants. 
And third, it needed to estimate weights in order to rank. So for example, that 20% healthcare weight drove home that more than healthcare is needed for population health. And then the last uh, takeaway is that you saw that there was new dissemination. Anytime you're coming up with new ideas and new things, you need a dissemination uh, approach. And the population health blog and the round table really reached a wider, more diverse uh, audience. Anything else you wanna to add to those uh, takeaways, Dave? No, I think that's um, good for this episode. All right, all right. Mm -hmm. So listeners, thank you for joining us today for quote, picking up steam 2006 to 2014 in the series, Population Health, The Unfinished Journey with David Kindig. Please join us in the sixth episode for It's All About the Money. Whoa, is that an interesting title, Dave? So It's All About the Money will be our next episode. So more information about the series and references for today's presentation can be found in the show notes, www.iaphs.org, Interdisciplinary Association for Population Health Science. Thanks again, Dave. Thanks, Sandy. See you next week. All right, bye.